We know you have lots of questions. If you think that you've developed symptoms. Should I avoid large public gatherings? Whether schools should be closed. Welcome to Common Sense. Here we address your questions about COVID-19 with interviews featuring experts in medicine and leaders in community, public, and global health. Here's your host, Dr. Ted O'Connell. Welcome to the podcast, COVID-19, Common Sense Conversations on the Coronavirus Pandemic. I'm your host, Dr. Ted O'Connell. My guest today is Dr. Alex McDonald, who is a family physician and sports medicine specialist in the fields of physical activity, advocacy, health equity, and policy. Dr. McDonald holds an undergraduate degree from Connecticut College, as well as his medical degree from the University of Vermont Larner College of Medicine. He completed his medical internship at Duke University, Family Medicine Residency, and Sports Medicine Fellowship at Southern California Kaiser Permanente in Fontana, California. Dr. McDonald currently is a member of the Southern California Permanente Medical Group in Fontana, California, where he is involved with family medicine resident and sports medicine graduate medical education, and he is also clinical professor at the Kaiser Permanente Bernard J. Tyson School of Medicine. Dr. McDonald serves on the board of the California Academy of Family Physicians, as well as the Public Information Committee for the American College of Sports Medicine. Dr. McDonald is also a member of the American Association of Sports Medicine and serves on the American Academy of Family Physicians Commission on Membership Services, as well as Congress of Delegates. He serves as a team physician for the California State University San Bernardino and Upland High School. Alex, thank you for joining me on the podcast today. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. Great. Um, Alex, you have a really interesting background as a top amateur triathlete, and then you became a professional triathlete, and now you're a family physician and sports medicine physician. Can you tell us a bit more about your background and career arc in, in both sports and medicine? Sure. Um, so I mean, I always grew up playing a bunch of sports and my main sport actually was gymnastics uh, by and large, but I did some swimming and some running and, you know, we all, a little bit of everything. Um, and then in medical school, uh, a friend of mine was like, hey, let's, let's go do a triathlon. I was like, oh, okay, sounds fun. Uh, he's like, no, no, I want to train to win the triathlon. And I was like, okay, fine, whatever. Uh, not knowing what I was getting myself into. And then um, just started using it as sort of stress relief during medical school and, and um, had a, a lot of early success and kind of had more. I ended up taking a, a research year so I could train a little more full time and um, ended up being the top amateur uh, triathlete at the Ironman World Championship. And it just kind of grew from there. So then I decided to kind of take a break between medical school and residency, which was very unusual to, to race as a professional for about four years or so. Um, always with medicine being my, my first love. Um, however, I got hit by a truck and broke both my legs um, back in 2010 or nine, I believe, um, and uh, was suddenly a patient uh, in this very confusing world. And uh, through working with my, my surgeon and then my rehab uh, team afterwards, it kind of made me realize that, that sports medicine is such a, a team sport, really, and there's so many different aspects to it and really wanted to use that to inform my career as a family physician and a, a primary care sports medicine physician. So yeah, it was, it was uh, interesting. I don't recommend it. Uh, quite frankly, it wasn't too, uh, too comfortable, uh, but it, I think it really helped me to be able to uh, bring a different perspective as, as a physician and as a sports medicine physician specifically to my patients and to, to really 
understand their desire to kind of get back to their sport or what it's like both emotionally and physically going through, through the rehabilitation process. I'm sure having been in that role of a patient after a, a really severe injury like that gives you a lot of perspective that, that many physicians um, don't have. And I think gives you a little bit different look at the situation. So I'm hoping that today we can talk a bit about sports medicine and exercise and competitive athletics as it pertains to COVID, because that COVID clearly is affecting sports on all levels. And I, I think there's a lot that we can uh, potentially talk about that the audience might be interested in. So Alex, how are you recommending that your patients who are competitive athletes, as well as your other patients who just want to stay healthy, how do, they, how do you recommend that they stay fit during the pandemic with gyms closed and so many sports placed on hold? Yeah, I mean, I think first and foremost, I mean, we know that that exercise and and physical activity is so important, um, not only physically uh, but also mentally right now, especially when so many people are are really kind of anxious and struggling with a lot of uncertainty and uh, loss of social connection and and many many sort of uh, the societal impacts really kind of are making a huge impact. And I think physical activity, we know for a fact that that people who are overweight or who have hypertension or who have diabetes, um, all these chronic conditions, which, which often can, can benefit or be mitigated from exercise, we know all those patients have a higher risk of complications from, from COVID as well. So it's really more now more than ever to get physically active and to get moving. We know that between um, doing about 150 minutes of, of moderate to vigorous physical activity per week really makes a huge difference. And basically, I've been telling my patients, whether they be, you know, uh, weekend warriors or, or couch potatoes uh, or, or elite athletes, just get outside and get moving. Uh, it doesn't have to be uh, a huge amount of exercise. I think getting creative as well, um, maybe doing a new sport, which you didn't necessarily do before. For example, if you just went to the gym and lifted weights all the time, can you take up running or can you uh, take up hiking or something that's, that's more outdoors? Um, and, and try a new sport. A lot of, a lot of people find that they uh, breaking out of their fitness routines can actually build their fitness higher um, than it was if they're just sort of doing the same activity over and over again. Um, I always encourage, encourage my athletes to, to wear a mask or carry them one with them, as, at least if they are going to be potentially in areas where they uh, might be closer to other individuals. And, you know, maintaining physical distancing at least six feet. Uh, there is some evidence that when you're exercising and breathing heavy, you probably have to be more than six feet apart. Um, but that's still very sort of subjective at this point. We don't really know. But basically staying as far away from people as you can when exercising, wearing a mask and getting outdoors is the um, definitely the most important thing. It doesn't really matter what it is or where it is. If it's all on the weekend or space throughout the week, it doesn't really matter as long as you're moving. That's the most important thing. That's great advice. And during this pandemic, we've seen a lot of people take up new hobbies and new activities as they've had a little bit more time on their hands. And so I really like that idea of suggesting trying a new sport that you haven't tried before and mixing up your workout routines. So Alex, we're seeing um, professional sports and collegiate sports get back on track and they're being done you know, in bubbles or with very strict protocols and without fans in the stands. What are you telling parents of children when they ask about the safety of returning to youth sports and club sports and high school sports and things like that? Similar to what I said before, sport is so important, especially for our, our children and our teens. Uh, we, know, we know kids who are uh, involved in athletics have lower rates of obesity, 
of drug use have uh, t- typically better scholastic performance as well. So it's so important and, and the social connection uh, with, with teens and children as well. So it's really important to try to get back to their sport, but also trying to minimize the risks. Um, and, and like anything in medicine, I always talk about this sort of risk-reward risk uh, balance, right? We have to sort of think about the potential risks of returning to their sport and, and also the potential rewards. And, and there's not a one-size-fits-all approach, right? It depends on the individual and, and do they have any individual risk factors? Uh, do they have asthma? Uh, do they have obesity? Do they have diabetes? Uh, even as a, as a child, that's fortunately type 2 diabetes becoming more prevalent in our adolescent population. Plus also the sport. What sport are they playing? Are they doing wrestling, which is, you know, very close contact and, um, or are they doing tennis or cross country where they're naturally outside and, and, and distance from other people to begin with? Um, so it really depends on a myriad of factors. And I think that's where physicians uh, can really help people kind of walk through the risks and the benefits. Is there something they can do to help sort of mitigate the risk of, of their sport as well? Um, I always really stress the importance of uh, you know, good, a good healthy diet as well as uh, plenty of sleep, eight to 10 hours for, for most of our youth to really uh, make sure the immune system is, is optimal as well and to, to reduce any risk. Lastly, just avoiding really high intensity or prolonged exercise as well is probably a good idea right now. We know that if there's consistent exercise without adequate recovery, it can actually weaken the immune system. Um, and can, can lead to to increased risk as well. So there's multiple factors to um, to think about and to, to to work through. And there's not a one size fits all type of approach. Um, there's actually a great article in um, I think this month's uh, issue of Current Sports Reports from the American College of Sports Medicine, where Dr. Robertson Santine from the Minnesota, uh, University of Minnesota talked about kind of the risks and the benefits and thinking about it almost like an IRB proposal, right? If you're doing a research study. You have to submit it to the institutional review board to make sure that it's it's safe and that there's no risks and that, that it's ethical. Um, and it, they actually really gave an interesting talk or excuse me article about this and talk through a lot of these these pieces about consent and assent, especially as as youth and children we, they can't give consent. Uh, there's also a lot of coercive forces, right? Uh, youth sports is a twenty billion dollar a year industry, uh, and there's a lot of pressure to kind of get back to the normal. So you really have to think about the motives uh, sometimes, which, you know, we all want kids to be active. We all want them to play sports. Um, but in the pandemic situation, there are just so many unknowns as well. So un- unfortunately, there are probably a lot more questions than there are answers right now. And that was probably a very long-winded answer to your question. Um, but the bottom line is really, really think about your sport, think about your risk and, and talk with your healthcare professional and your doctor about sort of what, what the right answer is for you personally. Right. And, and Alex, that's great advice because, you know, this is a novel coronavirus. And with many of the things that we're looking at, there are more questions and answers. And, and really part of the goal of this podcast is to just maximally educate the public so that they can make informed decisions because every decision with getting back out into society or going back to work or getting back to sports confers some degree of risk, but what we want to do is, is make the best decisions that we can at that particular time. And particularly when you're talking about your children, you want to try to make the, the best decisions. So I think you explained that really nicely. The Centers for Disease Control has provided some guiding principles on risk levels of sports participation. And you kind of touched on that a little bit, talking about wrestling as opposed to tennis or cross country. But can you tell us about this guidance? 
Sure. So, so they kind of break it down into sort of four groups, if you will. They talk about sort of the, the risk of the sport itself, right? Like I said, uh, a high uh, contact, uh, close proximity sport like basketball or wrestling is pretty high risk versus, you know, tennis or cross country being uh, an individual sport where it naturally has some physical distance to it just in general. Second piece being the the training or practice environment, if you will, right? So what's the intensity that you're practicing at? Um, are you are you doing travel? Are you just doing sort of scrimmages within a smaller cohort or even breaking down the teams into smaller cohorts where you do drills with, with even a fewer people? So there's sort of less contact between members. Uh, is there shared equipment? Um, you know, definitely individual water bottles and not, not sharing water bottles is an important piece. And then lastly, thinking about the age of the athlete and, and the uh, intensity of the sport as well can certainly make a big difference as well. The third piece is sort of the, the just practicing all the good sort of social distancing, hand hygiene, wearing masks, uh, instigating temperature checks uh, to, to make sure people don't come with symptoms to, to sports or sporting events. Now, this goes for fans and stands as well as athletes on the, on the sidelines as well. So there's just kind of those good common sense everyday uh, safety uh, uh, mechanisms. And then also the health and risk factors of the individual athlete, much like I said before, um, you know, is the, is the child obese? Do they have asthma? Do they have other kind of high-risk medical conditions that, that might increase their risk as well. So those are kind of the four big categories that it's important to sort of think about. And can you, can you modify any of those? Can you make adjustments to, to mitigate the risk of any of those different activities? Right. And, and by thinking of those four different areas, it really does give you potentially four different spots where you can try to reduce risk at least as much as possible. Mm -hmm. um, Alex, are you giving any sport-specific advice to athletes as they consider returning? to their normal exercise or sporting activities? Well, and again, it, I feel like a broken record here to some degree. Uh, it, it really depends on a myriad of factors um, as well as the, the individual risk of the, the physical activity itself. So that's where I'm, I'm typically saying, you know, can we get outdoors? Can you do your sport while, while practicing physical distancing? Can you do sort of virtual or group training? I know right now a lot of... Um, personal trainers have turned to, to Zoom and to, to virtual training. So that way you have that kind of connection, you have that accountability, but you don't necessarily have that close contact. And, and much like I said, I always encourage my athletes to try to, if they are in a high-risk sport or a high-risk individual due to the underlying health conditions, can, can, this, can you use this as, as an opportunity to do some cross-training or to do a new activity? Um, now is not the time probably to, to, um, to really kind of do a lot of very high-intense physical activity within, within your sport, particularly if it's high risk. Um, but can we work on skill development? Can we work on dribbling skills for basketball or, or shooting as opposed to uh, a lot of scrimmage and, and close contact activity as well? Great. Alex, our current knowledge of COVID is that it affects children differently than adults and that even teens are affected differently than the younger children are. And there seems to be kind of a dividing line somewhere around 10 years of age, although that's pretty arbitrary. Um, does the age of the athlete affect the advice that you're providing? I, I think it does. I mean, if you're a junior in high school and you're trying to get a college scholarship, you know, we might approach this differently than, you know, a seven-year-old who's on a, you know, recreational soccer league uh, just getting into the sport. So it depends on uh, not only the age of the athlete, but also sort of what their goals are. And again, that sort of risk reward ratio, just as an example, my, my two 
younger children, uh, nine and, and six do gymnastics or they did gymnastics and, you know, they're not super competitive. They're just doing it for fun and physical activity. And we decided right now we're just going to hold off, right? Because it's not, it's not worth the risk for us. We'd, we'd rather keep them at home for, you know, six, eight, 10, 12 months, uh, and, and kind of have them stay physically active here, obviously, but going to the gym in a closed space, uh, where they're sharing equipment with other athletes as well. For us, that just wasn't worth the risk, essentially. So it depends um, on the sport. It depends on your risk tolerance. We know younger kids uh, can be... Uh... Science, 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 science! Hello, podcast fans. Want to get weird with us? Come check out the Mad Scientist Podcast. We are a weekly show that looks at the history, philosophy, and hard facts behind your biggest paranormal questions. Did the government really pay for a psychic spy program? Yes! Is it true that surgery got its start in grave robbing? Yes! Can a roller coaster really kill you? Legally, we can't say so for sure, but sometimes... Yes! Join myself, Chris Cogswell, and my co-host, Marie Mayhew, as we examine the science, philosophy, and history behind the strange and unusual. All to discover what's possible and plausible versus what's, well, just made up. Check us out wherever you find your favorite podcasts. The Mad Scientist Podcast. If they get sick, they can get extremely sick, but that seems to be very, very rare. Uh, Teens can spread it a lot more asymptomatically as well. So you just have to worry about that. So again, there's so much that's sort of unknown here. Uh, we do need to keep a close eye on those things. And there's multiple different different pieces we have to think about when we talk about teens versus youth and their level of activity as well. Right. Yeah. As you say, just so many different variables to think about. And, and you even get into the example of your children who are doing gymnastics for fun and exercise as opposed to a high school junior or senior who may have a collegiate scholarship on the line or has an eye towards the Olympics, you know, their, their risk tolerance might just be a little bit different. And, and again, depends on the sport and depends on a lot of other factors. Definitely. Um, so we've recently been learning more about COVID's potential effects on the heart. And a recent JAMA, which is the Journal of the American Medical Association, uh, had a cardiology study that actually found that three quarters of the 100 patients that they studied had cardiac effects following COVID infection. And in the last episode of this podcast, I spoke with a cardiologist about this topic. Can you tell us what myocarditis is and why this is potentially concerning in athletes? Well, first, I'd, I'd reference our, our listeners back to your prior podcast. It was a fantastic conversation with, with Dr. Kaiser uh, talking about myocarditis and, and cardiac issues in general related to COVID. So everyone should go listen to that, first of all. Um, that plug. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, so, so myocarditis is essentially inflammation of the heart muscle. It can result in cardiac dysfunction, arrhythmias, or alter, alterations of the electrical activity of the heart, and even potentially death. Um, so it, it's really not anything you want to mess around with, especially in you know, someone who's younger and healthier and you think of as very physically, uh, physically fit, um, this can be a devastating uh, complication. So we know for a fact that about up to 22% of hospitalized patients with COVID show some level of heart damage or inflammation. Um, you know, there's some evidence that even individuals with COVID who are asymptomatic or minimally symptomatic may have some degree of inflammation of the heart as well. We know for a fact that probably exercising during the acute phase of an infection could potentially uh, worsen the inflammation and, and increase viral replication and cause more uh, damage to the heart muscle itself. So 
the most important thing here, I think, particularly for our athletes or people that are trying to push themselves is any symptoms, basically stop exercising is, is my recommendation and, and see your primary care doctor to, to talk more about it and to look into what's maybe causing some issues here. We know for a fact a lot of viruses can cause inflammation of the heart and myocarditis. Typically, those are more in the 1% range. Here, it's somewhere in the 20 to 30% range, like you mentioned. But again, these studies are so preliminary, and we, we just don't know. I mean, we, are we for that 30%, is it we're just testing the people, the right people? How widespread is this? There's these studies that, that talk about uh, myocarditis and the evidence of it is, or excuse me, the prevalence of it uh, are really very premature honestly. And, and it's important to be aware of this. And we obviously want to err on the side of caution. Um, but the, again, a lot more questions and answers. That should be the name of this, this, uh, this uh, podcast. Questions, more questions and, answers. and answers. Yeah, it's, it's such an evolving field. You know, and you do bring up an important point that these studies are usually pretty small and, and being done in you know selected group of patients. So we can't necessarily extrapolate that widely. But even this idea about questions and answers, you know, at the beginning of this whole pandemic, everybody thought that COVID was primarily a respiratory disease. And now it's being thought of, of much more as a vascular disease that's right. affecting blood vessels. And that's where the heart comes into effect. But yeah, we're, we're, we are learning as we go um, very definitely. Yeah. Alex, the NCAA that oversees most of collegiate athletics is obviously concerned about myocarditis in their collegiate athletes. And we've seen at least one major league baseball player's season end because of myocarditis. What's being done in the sports medicine world to screen for and evaluate this issue? Yeah, this is definitely a, a hot topic for sure. Um, we definitely want to raise awareness about this issue, but we also don't want to raise fear as well. Um, and as I said before, if you're having symptoms, go see your doctor, right? Um, they're, they're good tests. They're good studies, which can help us figure out what's going on. But we, we can't help um, athletes and particularly our teens, I'll be honest here, kind of push through and, and, and don't admit that they have symptoms at all. So it's really important that, you know, if you are having issues of, of increasing shortness of breath or, or chest pain or kind of funny heartbeats, that you definitely go see, stop exercising and go, go see your doctor. That, that's the most important thing. We're really working to help educate physicians as well, right? Not just, not just uh, uh, sports medicine physicians, but you know, pretty much all primary care and other physicians as well, any specialty, because Right now, anyone could potentially see these these people in clinic, and it's important just to be aware of it as well. The British Journal of Sports Medicine actually came out with a sort of a, a, a graduated return to play protocol um, after after COVID or suspected COVID. There's guidelines uh, that you know the American College of Cardiology, as well as the American College of Sports Medicine um, and the American Society for Sports Medicine, have put out looking at how you return to sport. Um, do you need to do uh, EKGs and look to look at the electrical activity, doing an echocardiogram to look at the, the function of the heart? Do we have to do pulmonary function tests to test breathing or blood tests to measure inflammatory markers in the blood as well? Um, so there's all these protocols which are sort of being developed, and it's important to, 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 to note these are all sort of expert consensus and opinion, right? This is not sort of hard evidence um, at this point. It's all evolving so fast. So it's really, really important to think about um, the, the, the totality of this. Um, the American Academy of Pediatrics and the National Athletic Trainers Association have uh, developed a sports safety checklist to make sure that 
youth sports are kind of following all these protocols. Uh, the American College of Sports Medicine also developed extensive resources for gym and other athletic facilities about how to open safely and maintain physical activity with distancing, but also what to do if you have an exposure, a potential exposure and different protocols. And then lastly, um, ACSM also just put out a, a call to action statement uh, surrounding COVID and the importance of, of maintaining physical activity. We, we know for a fact that 80% of adults do not meet physical activity guidelines. They don't meet that 150 minutes per week. And COVID has probably increased that number of, of physically inactive athletes or uh, adults in this country. And that potentially, potentially has huge ramifications, uh, not only now, but in the long run as well. So getting active, getting healthy is really important, trying to push that message, but also helping people think about if they are exposed, if they do have COVID, how to get back to their sport safely. That's great. And Alex, you segued nicely into the next thing I wanted to ask you about, and that is some of the guidelines from the American College of Sports Medicine and the American College of Cardiology and these different societies that put out guidelines, which is really what they are. Can you tell us how these guidelines are actually being implemented in clinical practice? Sure. So, I mean, I guess just to sort of talk through the guidelines is, is probably easiest. I mean, there's um, as I mentioned, there's sort of this uh, return to play protocol. So this is not new in the sports medicine world, particularly surrounding concussions. If someone has a concussion, there's a very well-established kind of return to play protocol to get that, that athlete back to sport safely. And um, British Journal of Sports Medicine put out this great uh, graduated return to play protocol, uh, which can basically be used as a resource for, for anyone, essentially. And basically, it talks about you know rest being the first thing until you're not having any symptoms at all. And then you have to rest for at least seven to 10 days uh, once you're asymptomatic, no physical activity at all, off of all sort of anti-inflammatory, Tylenol, Motrin, things like that. And then from there, you can kind of gradually build back and return to play. So it's this, this course of, of seven days or so. The American Col College of Cardiology um, put out guidelines in terms of the workup or what kind of needs to be done. Let's say if somebody has COVID, if they, if they tested uh, positive for COVID, if they was, had, were asymptomatic or had very mild symptoms, basically recommending rest for two weeks and then close monitoring and, and sort of a gradual return to their, their sport over two weeks or so. So basically, a, almost a full month until they're kind of back to some, some capacity. And that's two weeks once they're completely asymptomatic. We know, we know COVID can last, symptoms can last anywhere from you know, seven to, to, to 14 days. And most individuals, some have some lingering effects for longer. So again, it's important to be completely asymptomatic and then doing two weeks of rest and then gradual return. Um, if for those who had mild symptoms or, or they weren't hospitalized, again, two weeks of rest after having no more symptoms and then being evaluated by their physician, uh, possibly doing a, an electrocardiogram or even an ultrasound of the heart to make sure there's no structural damage, possibly some additional testing, looking at inflammation, uh, inflammatory markers of the heart. And then from there, if that's all okay, then you can kind of gradually return to activity. And for those who are the sickest, who are in the hospital, basically um, having them uh, be seen shortly after being discharged and then kind of following their inflammatory markers and, and going very, very slowly for these individuals um, and, and kind of the erring on the side of caution um, by, by far for these individuals as well. And there's similar guidelines for, for pediatrics as well. So the, the point is, you know, these may seem sort of ultra conservative for some folks. Um, but again, this is not, we, we'd rather err on the side of caution um, and get people back to their sport um, in, in their physical activity in, in a safe, healthy way, rather than ha have any potential uh, long-term implications. 
uh, as you mentioned, the baseball player who, who tested positive for myocarditis, that's basically completely out from all activity for at least probably six months, if not longer, depending on uh, a myriad of factors as well. So that's kind of the, the cliff notes version of the guidelines, if you will. Yes, I, I can tell that you are living and breathing these guidelines on a, on a daily basis. And there are certain points in this podcast where I think it's important to kind of date stamp what we're talking about. Today, September 21st, 2020, these guidelines clearly will evolve just as everything else does as our knowledge and understanding of this disease changes. And, and you talk about the idea of being conservative, and, and that really comes from you know, myocarditis can be deadly. And this is a new virus. We just don't know when you get thousands, tens of thousands of people infected and return a lot of them to real physical activity, what the potential impact is. And so we want to be careful and, and be cautious and, and save as many lives as we can. You answered my question, actually. I was going to ask you about whether the guidelines are affected by the severity of COVID illness. It sounds like very definitely that's a yes. Yes. Um, Besides the cardiac effects, such as myocarditis, what other effects are you seeing um, COVID have on athletes that you're taking care of? Yeah, as you mentioned before, this is this is much more sort of a, a vascular or an inflammatory process. Um, so a lot of individuals have reporting just kind of ongoing fatigue or just kind of weakness, right? They're just like, I just can't get back to my my normal exercise tolerance. Uh, they get more fatigued more easily. They can't do quite as much as they, they used to. Um, so that's probably the most common thing. Uh, and that can last weeks sometimes. It's usually not too long, but it can be weeks for some individuals. Um, I've had some athletes who just kind of have this lingering kind of cough and, and, and maybe a little bit of mild wheezing um, associated with similar to asthma. Um, and then lastly, just, just sort of the anxiety uh, um, is probably the the most prevalent thing that I found is they just worry, right? It's like, well, you know, I have COVID. Can I, can I get back to my sport? Am I, am I safe? Can I do, you know, wind sprints or should I just kind of keep it at easy jogs for now? And unfortunately, as most of the, the podcast here, we just don't have good answers. So helping, helping individuals kind of walk through those, those steps as well. Um, and just helping providing reassurance as well. And a lot of these sort of lingering side effects, we sort of can treat, treat symptomatically. Um, and for the most part, uh, I, I found that most athletes get back, you know, rel- relatively to relative full strength within a matter of weeks or so. Um, but some, it can take a little bit longer. Great, Alex. And, and you talk about some of these lingering effects like the fatigue and cough and some wheezing. And COVID is actually being identified as causing some longer lasting effects in some patients, besides the, the ones that you mentioned, also some shortness of breath, headache, joint pains, even some neurologic mm-hmm. effects. Um, what advice are you giving about this to your athlete patients and others who who want to be physically active following an infection? Basically, you know, go slow and don't put too much pressure on yourself. I think that's the biggest thing. Everyone wants wants to rush back and get back to their to their physical activity or their training or or whatever it is. And I tell people just to just to slow down, right? You know, don't have a structured workout uh, regimen or a, a structured training plan. For those first couple of weeks while you're coming back and just kind of do what you feel. If you feel like you need to take a rest day, then take a rest day. If you're feeling, you're feeling good and you want to do a little bit more, then that, that's okay as well. So listening to the body, I think is probably the, one of the biggest things. And this is actually where I use my own example as, a, as an injured, uh, injured athlete. When I first broke my legs, I wanted to get back to it right away. Uh, but I had two broken legs, right? You have to give the body some time to heal. And, and just sort of rest knowing that 
you know, you're sort of, you want to climb back up that mountain again, but right now you're at base camp and, and you don't even have your supplies, right? So you got to wait for your supplies to get to base camp before you can even begin to start to climb up that mountain. Um, so I think the biggest thing is sort of trying to be patient and, and listening to the body and, and not, not sort of setting goals uh, too soon. Um, I tell a lot of my athletes, not just the ones uh, recovering from, from COVID, but also just in general overuse injuries. And now is probably a pretty good time to be, have to recover or have to take it easy and work on those sort of softer skills of your sport, uh, as opposed to a lot of the hard cardiovascular training that, that may need to go into it because there aren't a lot of games going on. There, there is some sports aren't active at all. Um, so now is maybe a good time to actually take it easy and, and to think about not, not this fall or this winter, but maybe next spring or, or next summer kind of getting back to peak athletic form as well. So that's great description and, and really valuable insights there, Alex. Uh, I want to thank you on behalf of our audience and the podcast for sharing your expertise. This has been a really interesting uh, discussion and you know sports are so widespread and part of our lives and society and sports and exercise I should say um, that, that I think the insights that you're providing are just going to be really really useful for our listeners so I, I thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule and out of your family life uh, to join us on the podcast it was an honor thanks so much and uh, I look forward to hearing a lot more of these podcasts from, from you and your team as well thanks Alex thanks that's it for today. Thanks for listening. This has been a production of Ars Longa Media. Our producers are Madison Linden and Chris Brightigan. Our executive producer is Dr. Patrick Beeman. If you have questions about COVID-19 that you'd like discussed on the podcast, send an email to info at arslanga.media. This podcast is for educational purposes only and not intended for medical advice. Be vigilant but remain calm. Ars Longa, Vita Brevis.